Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, a podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, pray, and interpret sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm Chase Krause. And I'm Ryan Pollock. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody out there in internet land, and welcome to another smashing edition of Catholics with Bibles. Smashing edition. <laughs> I'm here with my boy, Chase. How are you, Chase? What's cracking? Chase of the House Krause. Uh, have you know you, what's crazy? People mispronounce my last name somehow. I it's, do not know how that's possible. It's literally house with a CR. Like right. when, we cro- when we got over the boat in Ellis Island, they're like, how do you say your name? It's Krause. That sounds like house with a CR. And that's how they spelled it. C-R-O-U-S-C. I've gotten cruisy. I've gotten cruise. Cruisy is the most impressive mess up. That is, is, that is astounding. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, why well, is it cruise? Like, no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, have you, have you seen any good movies lately? I saw Dune. Did you see Dune? Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I'm, we have HBO Max. I'm not going to lie. I definitely watched it on HBO Max. Well, that's fine, but you need to go see it in IMAX. I've heard IMAX is pretty nuts. Yep, it's, um, it's tremendous. So, yeah, I didn't realize and, until literally right when it began that it was, it was part one. So I'm glad they put it in the beginning mm-hmm. because if that wasn't there, I would have been very dissatisfied <laughs> with the movie. If you haven't seen it, we won't spoil it for you. But, so you, um, you, you did notice that it was uh, that it was part one at the beginning? Well, because in, in the title it says right. Doom, part one. Yeah, yeah. And okay. so instantly gotcha. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. But the entire movie, I was then mentally prepared. For the to, cliffhanger. Right, right. exactly. Because, yeah. uh-huh. man, if that wasn't there... I would have been. I remember the first time my dad and I watched the first Lord of the Rings. My dad didn't know it was a trilogy. Oh, what a bummer! And he was yeah. just like, "Well, that was stupid." <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, oh, "I think it's a trilogy, Dad." Will we ever make it home again, Sam? Who knows? The <laughs> yeah, end. That's right. Essentially. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've been thinking. About, I, I love Dune. I thought it was if a uh, little commercial for Dune here. If you like politics and religion and outer space, and who doesn't? You really should check out. Dune, but it's it provides a nice little transition here to our word of the day. So if you've if you've seen Dune, you know about you know about the Fremen, the the <laughs> the, the, the oppressed people of planet Arrakis who are uh, see the transition now. who are, who are wondering like who's going to free them from their oppressive overlords. So this this provides a nice little transition here to Luke and our Greek word of the day. If you've been, it's the first time you're tuning in with us in a while. We're going through each book of the New Testament in our series here. So today's the Gospel of Luke. And the Greek word of the day is aphesis, or uh, freedom, or loosening. I think Braveheart would have been a better movie to talk about freedom. Braveheart. Oh, well. Freedom! He does yell. He does yell freedom in there. Which, like, I don't think that would have been possible in real life after, you know. Being drawn and quartered. It's yeah. hard, hard to yell freedom You know, at as that a point. kid, I really didn't know what they were doing. I, I probably shouldn't have watched Braveheart Maybe for the kid. best. <laughs> yeah, right? It wasn't until, like, he was in, like, like, in college. I watched that scene. I was like, wait, what are they doing? Wait, what? <laughs> We, uh, I, I saw a hilarious meme the other day where somebody said, I'm going to go back in time and prevent Braveheart from being made to prevent, to, to force like Christian ministries, men's ministries to model their ministries on something else in 1995 <laughs> or something like that. It's like, that's funny. That's, oh, that's clever. A faces. Yeah. Freedom. So it, it harkens back to this idea that we're going to encounter in Luke's gospel of Jesus's ministry being itself a kind of jubilee, a proclamation yeah. of release to captives and oppressed and people that the uh, religious elite and governmental elite have looked down upon and cast aside. 
If you know anything about the Jubilee year, or if, or if you don't, go back and read it in Leviticus chapter 25. And there's some debate amongst scholars as to whether Israel actually ever practiced this, but at least they were supposed to. Um, there was a period wherein they were supposed to cancel all debts. Every 50 to, years, right? To, yeah, to set, to set all the captives free. It's like a great little um, economic reset here to make sure that nobody like spends their entire life in servitude or debt or whatever. And I think Isaiah, Isaiah, one of the prophets, Isaiah, right? But yeah. Isaiah yep. basically is like, Hey, this is the reason you went into exile. Cause, Cause you never did. Yeah, you, you, all those. And that's why it's 40 years because it, when you do the math, they skipped 40 Jubilee years, like at whatever. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why, sorry, you got to make up for those bad boys. So yeah. essentially, and the reason it's 50 is because um, in, in the law, it was, you know, every seventh day is a Sabbath day, day of rest. So every um, seventh year was like, kind of a sabbath year sort of but they never did that either really and then seven times seven forty nine and so the 50th year was like the jubilee year it was the sabbath well, of it makes you makes you reminds you that uh in the ten commandments like keep the sabbath was a real command like yeah. don't do any work here and then the the big version of that is supposed to be the jubilee year right even in israel like on the sabbath day like the elevators stop on every floor, so you don't have to do the work of yeah, pushing the button. Yeah, sure. I love it. I love. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work less on Sunday for sure. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, and like for those who like us work in the church, it's like you know, the, I get this question all the time. Like, wait, Chase, aren't you supposed to? How like, are you keeping the Sabbath? Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Um, <laughs> um, so, but I still go to church on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, A day for football and not pushing elevator buttons. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so like we always do uh, on the show so far, we're going to talk about authorship and date and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but with Luke, yeah, it's actually pretty straightforward. It's not incredibly controversial. If anybody tries to like be controversial with the authorship of Luke, they're just being a punk and wanting to start a fight. A punk. Um, yeah, so I mean, more or less since antiquity, um, we have almost universal universal attestation to the fact that Luke, the disciple of or the companion of Paul, I should say, was the author of Luke's gospel. Yeah, the beloved physician referred to in Colossians 4.14 and traveling companion of Paul in the Acts of the Apostles' we passages. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think the really cool thing to talk about when it comes to authorship of Luke, um, and we're going to talk about this again in a few books, um, is that Luke is the only gospel that has a sequel. So we got the Acts of the Apostles. Right. And uh, I don't know, I can't point to any manuscript traditions here off the top of my head, but it's, isn't it thought that they were like included as one volume, Luke Acts? Oh, I actually don't know that. Um, I, can't, I can't confirm that for sure. It makes sense. But uh, it, would, it would make more sense if Luke and Acts were right next to each other in right. the Bible. But of course, John is so different from yeah. the synoptic gospels that they, they split the two up. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so when you read the book, the gospel of Luke closely, he, who is he writing to? Well, he's writing to Theophilus, right? Who is essentially a sponsor, right? So we have to remember, we kind of see this now when like a big author gets um, picked up by a, produ- a, pro- a producer and that'll essentially like, they'll forward him a chunk of change to like not do anything but write for X amount of time. Um, worked essentially the same way. And it's a patron. Yeah, it's a patron. Yeah. And, and so Theophilus, uh, namely probably a Greek or Roman citizen, hence the name Theophilus. It's a very, very Greek name. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, with that though, odds are Luke, his, 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 while Theophilus was his patron, um, he was probably writing to like a general uh, Gentile Christian audience around like the Greek Mediterranean, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting because Luke is the only gospel that actually names his audience specifically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then date wise, not terribly controversial either. Um, so 
uh, most scholars are in agreement that it was written around the mid to early 60s. Um, reason for this is because um, Luke, being the travel companion of Paul, um, we know in the Acts of the Apostles that it kind of ends abruptly with you know Paul going to Rome. But we know from our history that Paul Dundat got killed in Rome um, in the mid-60s, and so did Peter, right? And there's persecution of Christians. The first one was in the 60s in Rome, and that's not mentioned in the book of Acts, right? So you could then argue pretty reasonably that Acts was probably started um, and finished in the early 60s. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. When persecutions are just starting to ramp up but are not getting severe. Right. right? Yeah. So we, we, you know, there's a sense of like, you know, Paul going to Rome and stuff like that. But when you read Acts, there's, it's not really about, it's about Paul's, Paul gets the crap kicked out of him a lot. Sure. Um, but general per- Christian persecution is not really present. Paul and, looks like Rocky at the end of Rocky. Dude. Yeah. Well, so it's actually interesting. What letter is it of Paul? Paul says, I, I bear the marks of Christ on my person. Um, Make up what la- what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Is that, so that's Colossians, right? I think so. Yeah, Colossians. Yeah. Um, and so d- different theologians have speculated that he might have had, well, the stigmata. That's been like a crazy speculation. Oh, interesting. Because the marks of Christ, right? Hmm. But, but most biblical scholars would just say, well, he got the crap kicked out of him a lot. So yeah, he, sure. So Paul probably didn't look like what he started out looking like on the road to Damascus. Like he got stoned, he got whipped, he got beat, he got shipwrecked. Um, and so he probably was pretty scarred up. Not easy for these early first followers of Jesus here, to, no. be, to be sure. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the previous episodes here on the New Testament, we've done a big kind of overview of the content. But why don't we just take this like chunk by chunk instead sure. and, and, and like talk about specific points we want to talk about. So uh, the preface here in 1, 1 through 4, of course, is addressed to Theophilus. And Luke desc- writes it to Theophilus to describe in his words what has been fulfilled among us. So if you remember in Matthew, that's referring to Jesus as the new Moses, the new lawgiver, and all that good stuff. Luke is, of course, not an eyewitness himself, but he's a, an historian who's going to interview the best sources and figure out how to tell the story the right way. Yeah. And so, you know, going right after that, the only gospel here with some infancy narratives. Um, and so there's a, there's a really interesting theory, and this is just a theory. Take it or leave it. Do what you want with it. Anyway, so there's a theory actually that that Saint Luke, or maybe even Paul, if Paul, if Luke heard this from Paul, um, but pro- but the theory is Saint Luke um, actually interviewed the Blessed Virgin um, when when writing, because because we know from the preface that he did extensive research right with, with before writing this gospel, he wanted to give a complete and orderly account, um, and so uh, and so he had some time, and so uh, the theory is that um, he interviewed the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, trying to like figure out like, yo, what happened in like the early days of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and because, and the, once again, the only reason for this theory is because this is the only gospel that talks about the empathy narratives. Right? And who so, else would know this stuff? Right. Yeah. Um, and and so you might be thinking to yourself like, what? well, doesn't Matthew have the story of the Magi? But um, we have to remember that that story happened like not, like that was several days, if not weeks after like the birth of Christ, right? So that yeah, wasn't the leading right. up to it. That was a different, so it's one of those things whenever like, that like nativity scenes and stuff happen like in, that's what bugs me about nativity scenes sometimes i'm like that's the different that's a different <laughs> thing like it was, the, the the magi weren't there like remove the ma- put those on epiphany that's yeah, when yeah. They, that's Bring where they go the, hide yeah. them in the closet until that's epiphany. right the, yeah, the, the, sure. you can have the, the you can have the 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 barn and the animals there from advent until christmas christmas eve baby jesus goes on epiphany magi go on and then take it all down <laughs> every retelling though of jesus life is a kind of diatessaron right it is a kind of mixture of all the gospels together oh, yeah. Yeah. any jesus movie that we watch 
oh, any yeah. Jesus story that we tell, all those bits tend to tend to blend. Yep. Um, uh, have you have you read? Uh, it's a book called The Lord. Um, Romano Guardini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good that's, one. If, so anyway, if you want a book that summarizes all the Gospels but also gives a bit of a theological like interpretation to it, The Lord. It's a classic. And it's yeah. a giant book. Mm-hmm. It's a giant. It's, yeah. it's big. It's hefty. It's thick. Um, but yes, we get the empty narratives, you know, the birth of John the Baptist, birth of presentation of Jesus, the finding of Jesus in the temple. And the, the, the Magnificat, the Nuke Dimittis, and the Benedictus, all which are set to music in many and manifold ways in yeah, the Catholic tradition. If, you, if you've ever prayed Liturgy of the Hours, I mean, morning prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, those come from this gospel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's where we get them. Um, Huge backbone of the liturgy here, for yeah. sure. Um, well, yeah. the next section that I have is Jesus's ministry in Galilee in chapters three through nine. So mm-hmm. the baptism narrative, which kind of reconstitutes Israel around Jesus and the genealogy here that Luke lists goes from David to Abraham, showing that, of course, he's a Jew. But it's often thought that he stretches all the way back to Adam to show that Jesus is, in a sense, reconstituting the whole world and his yeah. new movement. And this is when a cool theme that I like to point out. Um, is, is a theme called the Messianic Banquet. This is the first, first section with the meals. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you never heard this term, Messianic Banquet, so there's a, there's a tradition amongst uh, Israelites, starting from Isaiah. So Isaiah 25, 6 through 8 is the first time we see this. But also, like when you just read the Old Testament, um, every time good things are going down, there's meals, right? It, 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 and so um, that's a very traditional thing, too. We celebrate with meals. We celebrate with food. Uh, but in particular, the first covenant at Sinai before the golden calf, um, the Moses and the elders, the 66 elders, right? They beheld God and ate and drank right. on the mountain. They, yeah, yeah, it was a cereal offering. It was mm-hmm. a peace offering. And they, and they ate. You ate with God to, to show you were, you were at peace with God. Um, and so very much this, this idea of being at peace with God and celebrating a meal with God is very important um, in Israelite and in the, all the Old Testament. Um, and so... Um, we have this idea uh, in the Gospel of Luke. So if you read Luke, um, how many times? I, I wrote it down. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There are ten meals in the wow. Gospel of Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this it's idea. the Gospel for chefs. That's right. And so th- this is the first of many meals. It's in chapter 5, 27, which is at Levi's house, right? Um, and so Levi, um, and basically as you go down, you know, with the Levi, it's Simon, um, it's, it's the feeding of the 5,000. There's Mary and Martha. There's the Pharisees. Um, there's Zacchaeus, right? There's the Last Supper. And then climaxing at the road to Emmaus, you know, or the, the, the meal at the road to Emmaus, right? Not, that's not the climax of Luke, but like when it comes to like Eucharistic meal theology, probably the climax. There. Yeah, well, it's why the center of our liturgy today is a ritualized meal. Hello, right. it's a new Passover. Yeah, you know? and so this idea of the Messianic banquet, the uh, Israelites were... Um, always looking forward to this eschatological banquet with the Messiah who will redeem Israel, right? So Luke arguably is showing like, yo, Jesus is the guy. Like he's eating with people who were once sinners to bring them back into the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's right. And, and Jesus in this section quotes from Isaiah at the start of his ministry to say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare good news to the poor, oppressed, social outsiders, the disease, setting the captives free and all of that good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the meal is, is certainly a part of it. Yeah. Um, it, it. It's good news for the poor. It's, so it's accompanied by uh, miracles of healing, welcoming tax collectors, prostitutes, and then setting up the, the disciples, the 12 disciples as new Israel over this uh, random smattering of, of, of poor and disenfranchised people. Yeah, and so the, the passage 
um, Ryan, that you just quoted the quoting is uh, uh, Isaiah, um, and that is arguably when Jesus announced the year of Jubilee. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that would be that's where, like where that happens. You it, guys really stunk at keeping Jubilee before. Right. We're gonna make it happen yeah. right now. And so Jesus is saying that you guys have been doing it wrong the whole time anyway. Let me show you how to party. Yeah. Right. Let me show you how to set captives free truly the captives basically all of us right he was talking to his audience and like that's why like every time you read of jesus like in a in a synagogue a lot of times there's a reason people got ticked off and tried to throw him off a cliff right he's like jesus like you guys are actually the ones that suck and they're like but we're at synagogue like we're trying to be holy he's like no 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 you suck Uh, next after that, we have the journey to Jerusalem in chapters 9 to 19. So just like in the other Gospels, you have Jesus' early ministry and then the journey. Um, I guess, I guess in, at least in the synoptics, they all kind of, in general, follow that three-part structure there. Right. So sending out the 70 to announce the kingdom, parables about wealth and the way we have to give it up to live uh, more generous lives, more of the mission to the poor, more healings of the sick and the blind, talks about Samaritans and tax collectors. Again, people on the margins of society that have been largely cast out, Jesus is going to welcome them into these feasts that he keeps having. Yeah. Jesus is a feaster in the uh, Gospel of Luke. And this is also the only, this is a section where the only times, the only synoptics or Gospels that we have the parables of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son. Talk, talk to us about the Good Samaritan. Why is that one? Why it's important that that one's here? Well, so we have to remember, too, that basically Jesus announces the Jubilee year to the Israelites, saying that they're the ones that are captive. It's there because of their hardness of hearts, right? And so when, when he's telling this parable of the Good Samaritan, he's talking to a bunch of Israelites. Yeah. Right? He's talking about a bunch of Pharisees. Yeah. And so it's, and as everybody here, if you, if you don't know the parable of the good Samaritan, then pause this video, go read it and then come back. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but that parable really shows it, it, what Jesus is trying to show them is like, no, you're the sinners, right? You are the ones that have heart, your hardness of heart have led to the destruction of everything and the downfall of, of the kingdom, essentially that we try to, you know, put on earth. And then he, follows up with this with the second parable of the prodigal son. And right? the prodigal son is so great because you have the uh, the younger son representing these societal outcasts and these poor and oppressed people who like does go and squander all of his wealth and insults his father, but at the end is repentant and comes back. Whereas the older brother representing the religious and governmental elite we it, the parable leaves it open-ended. We don't actually know if the older brother is going to come in and join this banquet, this party right. that Jesus is throwing. Uh, Jesus will say, and, and here in other places, like the tax collectors and sinners are coming into the kingdom of God before you. It's really an indictment yeah. on those of us who might think, maybe I've grown up Catholic my whole life. Maybe I've been religious my whole life. I'm a decent person, you know, right. and uh, I'm not like these other schmucks who just really don't, like Jesus is just going to blow that, attitude up at every point. Yeah. There's a guy I knew, um, Andy Hick, Andy Hickman, um, in Houston. And if you listen to this, what's good, dude. Um, anyway, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but for like a long time, pre COVID every Friday, their entire like street knew that their backyard was open for like potluck dinner. Oh, love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is they lived in, in Houston and lived in a decent neighborhood of Houston, but Houston obviously is homeless people and stuff. And so like, if he like saw somebody driving home, like he would invite like homeless people to this, like these meals, like these I neighborhood community yeah. meals. Um, once again, just trying to show 
uh, one, the love of Christ, right? But also this, this idea of extending the table invitation. And the thing is, like, yeah, a bunch of their neighbors weren't Catholic, weren't Christians or whatever. And, um, but it was an opportunity for them to witness um, to their family and, or to their faith and stuff like that and um, extend the invitation. Um, but ultimately, like going back to that Messianic banquet, right? Um, you also have to be worthy of the table, right? You have to become dressed accordingly. And I think that's Matthew, right? That parable of the tr- wedding garment. That's Matthew, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same idea where you have to put on Christ. You have to be robed with Christ, right? That's how you get invited, you know, and even to this goes into like faith and baptism and stuff, right? Especially as an adult. Um, faith brings you to baptism as an adult, right? And you, it's not the theological virtue, but it's still an element of faith. And that's still grace, right? That's still gift. Um, but after you're baptized, like you have to put on Christ. Like you have to live out try to follow Christ, right? There, There is a pretty common misunderstanding of all these feastings that I, I just thought of that I, w- I want to address here real quick. So you'll, you'll see people say, look, Jesus eats with all of these people who are kind of lame and don't really understand <laughs> what's going on, and they're sinners, right? So he, Jesus eats with sinners all the time. Therefore, the argument goes, we should have totally open communion. So yeah. anybody should be able to come to communion, yeah. no confession, no Catholicism, whatever. Uh, that, of course, misses uh, the point that Jesus is not inviting all of these people to Passover, right? right? Like, right yeah. Jesus is inviting them to, like, common meals, which we should right. all do, uh, but there are certain, um, like you said, cleansing rituals that we have to undergo before we enter into uh, the Passover or the Eucharist. So just yeah. wanted to clear that up in case there were any open communion advocates out there. <laughs> sure, yeah, right. Um, and then, yeah, the last two sections here, going into the Passion Week narratives and then the Resurrection and Ascension, um, fun fact, we read, um, gospel of Matthew and Jesus says, uh, go make disciples of all nations, you know? Um, and then the Ascension account, a lot of people think this happened at the same place. It didn't happen in the same place. So if you're, mm-hmm. if you're picturing the Ascension in your head and Jesus last words being like, go make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he elevated, like, just read the book of Acts, right. And say, oh, Jesus ascended on this mountain. And then go back, and it's like, go back to, the, to Matthew, he's on a different mountain, right? I was at a talk one time at this conference, and this like Catholic famous person was like, and he went on this, it was this inspirational point where he's like, yeah, Jesus said that, and then he ascended into heaven, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you didn't read the Bible that closely. Hey-o. That's not actually what happened. Come on, um, guy. But, uh, but yeah, so essentially, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of themes. I mean, really, there's, I think, three themes. Um, really, there's a lot of themes, but three themes, I think, to talk about, and we can talk about a little bit here at the end. Essentially, in Luke's gospel, we have the idea of the salvation to Israel, salvation to the nations, and then salvation to the lowly, right? It's all about salvation. It's, it's the Jubilee year, right? It's, it's being invited to the messianic banquet of the kingdom of God, right? But there's three elements of this, right? So we have, you know, Israel, is pro, it's, the gospel is proclaimed to Israel first, right? They are the first, like Paul, St. Paul says. And that's a very Pauline thought. Right. I was sent, being sent to the Jews first and yeah. then to the, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then we have the salvation to the nations, right? Um, and so, you know, Simeon even says, you know, in chapter two, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? So this is very Gentile oriented as well, but through Israel, right? And then I think the third point is really the unique one to Luke, which is uh, salvation to the lowly. Yeah. 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 I mean, think about Jesus' triumphal entry. Who comes out to wave palm branches at at Jesus in Luke's Gospels? It's not the temple authorities. 
right? right. It's, it's not the people with any power. It's kind of the, the dregs of society, the people on the very bottom. Yeah, and the people that have been fallen. I think it's funny, people, when they look at the, uh, when they think about the passion, they're like, how could these people, you know, welcome Jesus one day and then kill him the next? It's like, it's two different groups of yes, people. Yes, that's so critical. <laughs> it's, right, it's, it's, right. It's the crowds that followed him yes. welcomed him into Jerusalem. Because yeah. he got to Jerusalem. There's no indication yeah. these are the same people right. at all. Yeah, it's, but it's the people who lived in Jerusalem are the ones that, that killed him, right? It's totally two different groups of people. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, the, the temple cleansing happens here in Luke as it does in the other synoptics, as it does in uh, Matthew and Mark. It happens here to start, uh, to foreshadow the temple's destruction, and it kind of signals the end of Jesus's ministry and his happy feelings toward the temple establishment. In John's gospel, it happens at the very beginning, but you'll have, bum, to, wait bum, till, bum. You'll have to wait until next week to figure out why that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the Passover, of course, is reconstituted in Jesus's own body and blood become the meal. Um, Herod and Pilate uh, are favorable toward Jesus, but are then shown to be just clowns, weak and corrupt like the rest. Just a bunch of punks. And then uh, Jesus' last statement um, before he dies on the cross in Luke is, of course, to um, the man next to him on the cross, the good thief, uh, we might say, who asks, remember me when we come, you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says yes. So even on the cross, Jesus still extending um, his ministry towards those people that the rest of society has totally rejected. Yeah, and the interesting theory about that one is that that was the rich young man, right? You heard that theory? Oh, I haven't heard that yeah, one. Yeah, so, no. um, you know, so the rich young man that comes to Jesus, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Did Jesus, he become a thief later uh, in his well, life? Well, so the theory is that he was always a thief. Um, um, that's how he got rich. Uh-huh, um, and uh-huh. so the theory is that the, 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 good, the good thief that stole heaven was the, was the, the rich young well, man. Well, that would be lovely. Now, is there a total, a lot of contextual evidence for that? Not really. Right. It's more of like there's that's, some, that's gospel fan fiction. That's but right. I, yeah. But I like it. Yeah. But uh, I think it was a church, like a couple of church fathers made like just made the connection somehow. I'm like maybe you heard it from somebody. I don't know. Did I remember this rightly that in the resurrection there's no actual appearance of Jesus himself? Just a couple of angels. Yeah, I think I think it's just a couple of angels yeah. in this one. So that's kind of di- different and unique to. Luke, and then there's a narrative break with the road to 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 Emmaus. Oh, so good! Road to Emmaus is is critical. So Eucharistic um, theology for days. Yeah, of course, right? So uh, the disciples are sad. They uh, Jesus meets them on the road. They don't recognize him. Uh, they said we thought this Jesus guy was going to help us bring in this new messianic kingdom, but it didn't work. Blah blah blah. They don't recognize him until when the breaking. Up. They have a meal together. Hello, another meal, another dinner party for Luke, another banquet. And then he's known to them in the breaking of bread. So Eucharistic theology all over that episode. Really funny. There's an old Christian movie. Don't ask me the name old where that scene happens. And Jesus just like awkwardly stands up and leaves the room because it says in the gospel that they broke bread and he disappeared. Mm -hmm. Right. And they saw him no longer. Yep. And so in the movie depicted Jesus, like just like literally standing up and leaving. Um, But that's not what the text says. And so the text is implying that Jesus never left their present. He was just present in the Eucharist. Right. He was present in the breaking of the bread. Um, Yeah. Like he didn't leave their presence. He just, they couldn't see him physically anymore. Right. Jesus has one more dinner party with his disciples after this, wherein it seems the disciples are finally starting to understand the suffering servant nature of Jesus's ministry, that the conquering King, they expected him to be, uh, he was going to conquer in a different way, right? He was going to conquer through suffering love. Uh, and then it, the Luke ends on a great cliffhanger, which I guess wouldn't have been a cliffhanger if Luke and Acts were together. But yeah. he says, now uh, now you're going to be my heralds in the world, my messengers. Go and wait in Jerusalem because you need the Holy Spirit 
to empower you for this work. And they're like, bum, bum, was bum. the Holy Spirit fade to black? That's right. The end. Um, it's a tongue of fire. Yeah. Um, well, probably, yeah. probably better he didn't tell him what was going to happen. That's right. Just You're <laughs> going to be really scared, but just you'll be fine. Then yeah. you'll be really brave. Power through okay. it, boys. Yeah, you'll be able to speak tongues and whatnot. It'll be great. So uh, things distinctive about Luke. So it's the longest gospel, right? The longest one of all the, of all the four there. There's the most Christmas details in it. If you're a fan of Christmas, most of the Christmas info comes from there. Uh, I, I have this fun little way to remind me which Gospels are which, and Chase might think it's dumb, but I'm just going <laughs> to roll with it here. So Matthew's for, like, genealogists. You know your grandpa who loves to do Ancestry.com and stuff like that. Mark's for mystery fans with the Messianic secret. Uh, Luke is for social justice activists or people who like to plan parties, people who like to feast and All the parties. throw dinner parties. Um, and then John, which we'll get to next week, is for philosophers. Yeah. Um, also, the most time is spent on women as followers of Jesus. So this Mary, Anna, Elizabeth, Martha, and all that. Also, don't be confused. There are a ton of Marys um, yes, in, in the right. Gospels. And, and the reason for that is because it comes from the Hebrew name Miriam, which is Moses' sister. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the same reason we name girls Mary now for Mama Mary. Miriam was a very important figure. So when you're reading the Gospels, you're like, wait, what Mary is this? Um, there's it's a hard lot of, to tell sometimes. Yeah, there's a lot of Marys. It's like, it's like, it's like John. Yeah. You know, Ioannis, very common name. Yeah. Um, it's like meeting a John Smith. So go, look, going to right. America and looking for a John Smith would be hard to do. Yeah. Um, what about uh, further reading resources for our for our gang here? Do we have anything we wanted to drop? Uh, Tim Gray has a great commentary Tim called Gray. I think called Mission of the Messiah. It's a it's it's like a it's a very easy but beautiful commentary on the Gospel of Luke. So look up some Tim Gray, some Timmy Boy. Um, that's, that's the one I would drop. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, Tim, great. Uh, also, uh, if you're looking for another good Catholic commentary, Joseph Fitzmaier, it's a good Catholic one. If you want a totally out of left field commentary here that I have not read in full and thus cannot recommend, <laughs> uh, but you're about to, <laughs> a, yeah. a, Amy Jill Levine is a Jewish scholar and Ben Witherington is a Christian, uh, of, of the Methodist variety and they teamed up together and wrote a commentary. So, um, gotta be some unique views coming out of that one. Yeah. So, yeah, like Ryan said, next week we're going to be diving into the Gospel of John, and I will say right now we will not say nearly enough of the Gospel of John. It's hefty. Yeah. It's got some heft, too. I mean, all the Gospels are hefty, but in terms of, like, philosophical ideas that Americans need unpacking, John's, John's pretty Dude, big. that was, so in my entire, not, not trying to brag, but out of all my master's classes, the Johannine literature was the only one I got a B in. I got A's and everything else. John smoked you. Yeah. Yeah. He's it got a lot tough. to say. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. God bless. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholic (laughs) Every time we forget how to do that, don't we? Yep. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much again for joining us this week on Catholics with Bibles. Uh, It's been a lot of fun going through the Gospels, and so next week's our last Gospel. It's going to be the Gospel of John. So tell your friends, tell your family about it. Leave us a review on whatever device you're listening on, on uh, iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is. And we'll see you next time on Catholics with Bibles. God bless.